Well, I want to welcome you here this morning. Uh, we always love for you just to kind of feel like you're part of our family here, and this may be your first time at Big Valley, and we want to make sure that, uh, that you feel like you are a part, and we know that sometimes it can be a little scary walking into a strange place with a strange group of people, and if nothing else, we are strange. So... Um, but uh, I also want to mel- welcome the people that are over in the venue this morning, and they are a part of our community. Uh, this is a large community that we just are meeting in some different places right now. So I'm glad you're here. My name is John Byron, and uh, if I didn't already say that, but uh, I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, Pastor Rick is actually taking a, a little downtime this weekend. So if you uh, normally are accustomed to seeing here, him here, he's changed significantly if this is what he is. Um, <laughs> But uh, we're glad you're here, and what I would love to do is just uh, kind of pray for us, and then we'll get started here. Father, we are grateful for this morning, for the fact that we are in your presence, that you have invited us here to meet you, and thank you that as we come into your presence now, you want to fill us with your life and your love, and we pray that we would have open hearts to receive now whatever it is that you would want to give to us. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We've been in a series the past several weeks uh, called Life. Uh, And it's really a great series. Basically, how do we become people that are more engaged in the life that Jesus has for us? And we've been kind of going through different things that would help enhance and help encourage you to pay attention to that life We have a theme verse that we've been working from. It comes out of the Gospel of John, chapter 10. It goes like this. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Now, who of us wouldn't really want that kind of description of our life? Rich and satisfying. We long for that. We long for that kind of life. And this morning, I'm going to take another aspect of that uh, thought about life. What is it that Jesus wants to give us? And really talk to you about the simple life. And when I talk about the simple life, I'm immediately uh, aware of the fact that it's, it's one of those things that can seem really elusive to us in the age and the time that we're in. It can be one of those things that, for some of us, just looks like an impossibility. Simplicity is not necessarily the life is the life way life is for us. And I think that uh, one of the things that I'm reminded of is when I was growing up, I lived in Southern California, and I, I'd go to Disneyland down there. And how many have been to Disneyland? You've been to Disneyland, the Magic Kingdom, okay, Mickey Mouse Land, you know. So I. I I would go to Disneyland, and there was always this sense that when I went to Disneyland, there was always more to do than I had time for. And so there was always that sense of, I've got to get, I've got to get going. I've got to get going. I've got to get into this. I've got to get there. I've got to get to the next ride. I've got to get to the next place. Now they've helped you with these things called fast pass, so you can go and run to there so you can run to the next place to get to the next ride. So they've really tried to compress it a little bit. But what I've realized is that over time, Disneyland has become just larger, bigger. There's more. And so now when I go to Disneyland, I'm under greater anxiety because there's still more to do. 
I'm not sure I will accomplish it at all, at all at once. And now I have grandchildren and children, and we all kind of go together, and you can just imagine what that's like. In fact, I think the picture that best describes it, it's like the Normandy invasion, okay, that we are preparing for. We're getting ready to kind of assault Disneyland. We've synchronized our watches. We've got our game strategy. We are taking the front gate, which is our beachhead, and we are going to make our way, and we're hoping there will be no casualties along the way, that we will leave no one behind, and that we will all make it out alive. Disneyland has become this complex endeavor. Walt Disney created something that creates a great deal of anxiety in little kids' lives. That's what he did. The writer of Proverbs says this, Better a dry crust with peace and quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Somewhere in that, I think we want that peace and quiet, and we're willing to take the dry crust of bread so we don't have to go through all the, just the strife that tends to be associated with the busyness of life. This could be a great verse for you to memorize when the holidays roll around. Okay? I mean, you think of all the stuff that goes on during that time, and we begin to prepare for things like Christmas months in advance, and it just seems like the list continues to get longer and longer. We live complex lives. Our lives are anything but simple. The writer of the Psalms says this, My heart is not proud. Lord, my eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me, but I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. The psalmist has found something that I think we all want. He has found that it's simpler to be a child in the arms of God than it is to consider all the other things that are going on in life. Somehow, I'm not sure we always find ourselves in the arms of God, weaned and content. I think oftentimes we find ourselves driven by the list of things that are still out there to do. We're driven by plates that are so full, things are spilling off the edge. And we're adding to them and having to make more room to get it all there. In the midst of this life, I believe that Jesus longs to give us another kind of life. I believe that he longs to give you a simple life. And if you're going to receive the simple life that Jesus has from you, I believe there are three things that you could focus on that will help that happen. The first is this. Focus on the idea of one thing. Focus on the idea of one thing. But make sure that when you focus on one thing, it's the right thing. I was reading a while back uh, an article in one of the uh, kind of news magazines, and I remember it started out like this. 1972, Eastern Airlines Flight 401 crashed into the Florida Everglades. The captain and the first officer, while making their approach into Miami, became so preoccupied with a minor problem involving an indicator light 
that none of the crew noticed that they were making an unplanned descent. When the first officer finally asked, we're still at 2,000 feet, right? They were moments from impact. In that moment, their distraction with a malfunctioning indicator light kept them from the far more crucial concern. Oftentimes, we find ourselves barraged with so many things, it's difficult to figure out what is the thing that we should pay attention to. Discernment really is needed, and simplicity is discerning the one important thing among the many things. Simplicity is discerning the one important thing among the many things. Luke's gospel was read this morning, and the passage that was read is a story that you may be familiar with. It's a story about Jesus and two sisters, Martha and Mary. And it goes like this. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, to, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. I want to make a few observations out of this text this morning of Luke. Just a few things to consider if you're going to keep a focus on the one thing. First of all, you need to understand that Jesus cares about all things. There's a verse that comes up a little later in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus is describing how sparrows are sold for, you know, a couple sparrows are sold for a couple coins. But God cares about the sparrows. And then it goes on to say that God has numbered the very hairs of your head, at least what are left of them. And to imagine for a moment that God is that involved sometimes is just an amazing concept. To think that all the things that you think about, God has a much bigger list. And in his list is included all that you have, all that you're thinking about. The many things that make you anxious and bothered. You see, I need to trust that he cares about all things so I can focus on the one thing necessary. In the choosing the one thing that is necessary, I'm really trusting that Jesus understands and that he's in control of all the many things that make me anxious and bothered. And trusting God with the many things will allow me to better focus on that one thing that is necessary. When, my, when I begin to worry, when I begin to get bothered, what it really does is it exposes my faith. It exposes the fact that I'm really not sure I trust God to take care of the many things. I wonder whether I might do a better job. Martha was encouraged by Jesus to release the many things that she might experience better the one thing. 
we are encouraged by Jesus to release the many things to him that we might better focus on the one thing that is necessary. The old song that says he's got the whole world in his big hands. Big world. Some of us keep trying to take that world back and carry it ourselves, and we are woefully inadequate in doing so. We need to recognize that God cares. Some of us just need to be reminded of that. That he cares all those things that are on that list that you're so frightened and concerned about. Jesus cares about. And he cares about them enough to take them on himself that you might be able to enjoy him more. The second thing that I'd like you to think about in terms of this passage is that Jesus is present. Jesus is present, and I need to celebrate his presence in the moment. How many times do I find myself in that particular moment thinking either about the past moment that I've just come from and what a terrible moment that was, or thinking about the future moment that's coming and how anxious it's making me or how delighted I am that it's coming. Some of you walked into this room this morning and you were already thinking about, I wonder where I'm going to have lunch today. And we were worshiping the Lord and somewhere in your brain you were just trying to shove that thought out, but then you began to think about football's on this afternoon. I wonder what time we're going to get out today. Normally really long with this guy, you know. <laughs> Might not make the kickoff. I believe that the Lord wants us to celebrate his presence in the now. But I think oftentimes what happens is I'm celebrating more my preparations than I am celebrating the presence of God. Martha in this story was celebrating her preparations. She basically was saying, these are mine. These are what I'm dealing with. And she wondered whether Jesus cared about him, but in doing so, she was missing the very one that was there. It's interesting that the text begins with the fact that Martha welcomed Jesus into her home, opened her home to him. How many of us have opened our lives to Jesus and said, come in, please, by all means, come in? And then we've gone on about whatever else we were doing. And so we've left Jesus off somewhere and I know we welcomed him in, but he's lost in the house somewhere, and I'm not sure where he is because I'm very busy right now. I'm very busy. Jesus longs for us to know that he is present. And in his presence, he longs to be related to us, not disconnected, but have us fully engaged in his presence in this time. We had a moment of silence here during the service. Tim led us in it. And as he led us in that moment of silence, one of the things that was interesting to me was how quickly I was trying to jump out of that moment into the next moment. 
I was thinking about, God, man, i got to get up there and sing a song in a minute. I wonder if I can remember all the lyric. Oh, that's right. They have it on the screens back here. That's good. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm supposed to be sitting at the feet of Jesus right now listening for his words. But there's something coming up that I'm really kind of concerned about. And it is so hard to live in that moment unless we realize that Jesus is in that moment with us, calling us to himself, inviting us into greater intimacy with him. We need to be people that celebrate that presence. He's here and he's with me. We need to also be reminded that Jesus is the very essence of what we're about. It is not that Jesus is just one more thing in addition to everything else. And I think for a lot of us, that's where Jesus falls. He falls as one more great addition, a good addition, a wonderful addition to my already long list of things to do. Somebody comes to you and says, you know, you need to pay attention to Jesus, and I'll, I'll write that down, okay? It comes right after, you know, pay attention to your wife and children, you know? I was reading in a book uh, called The Thousand Gifts by a woman named Ann Voskamp, and she just made a little statement, a little question, and that question caught me, and this was the question. She said, who has time to take on yet one more thing? Who has time to take on yet one more thing? Do you have time? How is it that Jesus, rather than becoming the only thing necessary, has become just one more thing to add to an already long list of things to do? It's my belief that Jesus is truly the one that we need to pay attention to, but I have to keep asking myself the question. Do I truly believe that Jesus is the only thing necessary? That he is the essence. That he has distilled it all down. All the many things he's distilled and brought it down to one thing. One thing that's necessary. And as I look at the one thing necessary, what does that do with all these other things? It makes them less than necessary. And oftentimes the way I treat Jesus is that he is not just the one thing necessary, but he's just really one more thing I add to all the other things. This morning I believe Jesus is calling many of you to consider what it means to make Jesus the one thing necessary, to recognize him that way, to sense that he is the thing that you need more than anything else. That when you think about, I can live life if I just have all the things that you might fill that blank in with. And that Jesus is the one that encompasses them all. Rather than seeing Jesus as just a part of your list, you need to see Jesus as encompassing the whole list. The last thing out of this little text in Luke is just to understand that he is the good portion. And I think... When it says that Martha was distracted, I think many of us are distracted at various times in life. I know I am. And yet how tragic it is to think that in my distraction I might mess, miss the very best thing that's going on. 
And I think that's the tragedy of the story, that in the midst of her distractions to be prepared for this next moment or whatever it was, get the meal ready, she missed the good part. And so Jesus points it out. He says, Mary is the one that has chosen the better part, the good portion here. And it's not going to be taken away from her. I'm not going to tell her to get up and do something and take her away from the very best. You need to understand that Jesus wants you to experience the very best. Not just something adequate. Not just something that's so-so. But he wants you to experience the very best. And how many times do I find myself trying to get ready for Jesus, trying to get ready for that great moment when Jesus is saying, I'm here. I'm here. Pay attention to me. Understand that I really want to give you the very best of myself. Jesus said it in the Gospel of Matthew this way. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first his kingdom. Seek that first. Make that the one thing. And then all these things will somehow find their appropriate place in life. Pay attention to the one thing that you might see the many things dealt with appropriately by the hand of God. It is a priority issue. The key word that you need to remember here is priority. How are you enjoying Jesus in your life as a priority? Is he the priority to your life? Have other things begun to displace him from that place of priority? Remember that one thing. But if you're going to receive that simple life from Jesus, not only one thing is important, but you need to focus also on the idea of one voice. In the Gospel of John, that 10th chapter where we read the verse earlier from, Jesus begins that 10th chapter by saying this, Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, Anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate to him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. It's remarkable to me that we live in an age where uh, communication is uh, fairly advanced, the way we can communicate. At one time, you know, we, uh, they were using a telegraph to try to send messages across the country. We have telephones now, you know. At one point in my life, I remember the telephone was attached to the wall, okay? Nowadays, it's attached to my ear, okay? And for many of you, you're hoping for a surgical procedure that will remove it. Because one of the things that goes along with that is not only can we 
communicate with people all over the globe, pretty much wherever we are. Not only can we call someone on the phone, not only can we call AAA when we've got a flat tire out on the road, but now everyone can call us as well. There is really no place that you are inaccessible. I find it fascinating that in some hotels that I've been in, they actually have phones in the bathroom. And I thought, that just is weird. <laughs> this is not a place of business. In the midst of so much information, in the midst of all the complex messages that are being shot at you, it can be really hard to find the one message that might truly be significant to your life. When you're hearing so many things, it can be tough to figure out what the one thing that you might really need to hear is. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and a stranger's voice they will not follow. How many of us are much more familiar with the voices of strangers than we are with the voice of Jesus? How many of us give in to the voice, all those other voices, more than we give in to the voice of the shepherd? You see, I think that there is a way that we can begin to be attentive to that voice, to the one voice. I think John here in this gospel gives us a few ideas as Jesus is speaking. He says, first of all, that the sheep know his voice. They know his voice. They recognize his voice. It says they don't know the stranger's voice. But they know the shepherd's voice. I think it's kind of great. I have my grandchildren that live fairly close to me. Okay? In fact, I have two grandchildren that actually live in my house with me. And that's exciting in itself. But one of the things that I notice is that in being around my grandchildren and their parents, their parents and these grandchildren, the grandchildren know their parents' voice. I mean, I've got two twin boy grandchildren, okay? And, uh, you know, God somehow in his economy figured that my son and his wife, one wasn't going to be enough to handle it once, and they needed to deal with two. And it's more than I can imagine. But one of the things, you walk into a room and you watch these little boys. The voice of mom, the voice of dad comes on the radar, and their ears just, like, pick up. They're turning toward the sound. They're calling out that name. They're recognizing that person. How do you get that way? If the shepherd's voice is one that we really want to hear, if the shepherd's voice is one that is something that, gosh, that's the voice, that's the one, how do we get familiar with that voice? How do we become people that recognize that voice? Well, I want to suggest something that will foster and encourage recognition of that voice, that knowing of the voice that Jesus describes here. 
and it's a practice. It's a spiritual practice, a spiritual discipline. It's the discipline or practice of solitude. For a lot of us, the idea of solitude is just a way out of the box because we are very much people persons. We're relational. We love relationships. Just spending time for five minutes alone seems like a mountain to climb. But I want to suggest to you that as you spend solitude, alone time in the presence of Jesus, you begin to discover more and more what he sounds like. You begin to discover more and more what his manner is or what his mannerisms are. You begin to discover more and more the style of Jesus, what he is like, what he sounds like. You hear his grammar and syntax and vocabulary as you spend time with him. This timber of his voice begins to be something you're attuned to. You begin to recognize. But you see, that doesn't happen by just casual showing up. That happens because you spend time. You spend time alone. Even Jesus went away to a lonely place to be with his father. And as he did that, it's interesting that he, it says that he'd go off in the early morning or he'd spend the whole night in prayer. And the thing about that is he took, chose times when there weren't going to be a lot of people there. I like that. But the other thing is it says about Jesus is that he went into the lonely place, which in the, the Greek language is the word that is translated kind of throughout the Gospels, as the wilderness. And when a person in the time of Jesus thought about the wilderness, the wilderness was a pretty frightening place. It was dangerous. It was considered, you know, you just don't really want to go out there if you don't have to. There's not something compelling out there. So Jesus chose a place that he wasn't necessarily going to be followed out to. He chose a place that was going to be a little remote because he knew that being in solitude with his father was going to help him in his relationship. He knew that that was significant to his life. If it's significant for Jesus to have solitude in his life, do you think it might be significant for you? If we are those that are being formed in the image of Christ, those that are being filled with his presence that we might be shaped into his life, do you think... Being alone with him and recognizing his voice might be significant. We need to be people that are taking on that place of solitude. The second thing that these sheep do is they not only know his voice, but they listen to his voice. They listen to him. Once you've begun to recognize what Jesus sounds like, now there comes a very crucial question. Will you listen to what he says? Will you listen what, to what Jesus is speaking, what the shepherd is speaking into that moment? Benedict, who is considered the father of the monastic movement, made this comment. Tune your ears to hear the divine voice. Isn't that a great statement? Tune your ears to hear the the divine voice. How many of us are tuning our ears and all we're getting is static? We are just getting so much noise. 
Tune your ears to hear the divine voice. I think when I think about this idea of listening, that oftentimes I come to the Lord and I recognize the shepherd's voice and immediately when I recognize it, I think it's my call, my obligation to tell everything to Jesus that I think he needs to know. And so I do. I bring out my list. Here it is, Jesus. These are all the things that I, I think you need to know about right now. And I, I give them. Here's all the people that I really wish you would do something with. Here are the things that need to be done. So I give Jesus this list, and I just kind of share it with him, and then at the end I, I say, well, thanks, Jesus, and then I move on. You see, my relationship with God oftentimes is far more of a monologue than it is a dialogue. And for most of us, we know that if we're in relationship and we are doing the monologue, it's not much of a relationship. If you've been on the other side of it, and sat there and tried to figure out where you were going to get that word in edgewise, that can be an exciting place to be. You're looking for actually someone to take a breath so you could say something. I'm fascinated how many people have such great lung capacity that they can talk for hours without seeming to take a breath. Imagine what it is like with God when we come to say we want to be in this intimate relationship with you, but we never take a breath. And so we just tell God all these things that we think he should know, and he probably already does. I believe listening is one of the hardest things we do. In most of the relationships I'm in, it's one of the hardest things I do because I always think I have something charming and wonderful to say. And yet I believe that if we are going to hear really the message that Jesus has for us, we have to be quiet. David Rosage is an author and wrote a book called Speak, Lord, for Your Servant is Listening. And he made this comment. Furthermore, in communicating, the person who has the most important message should have more time. Now, in prayer, it is quite obvious who has the most important message. Therefore, we should spend much more time listening to God than speaking to Him. You see, when I hear that phrase, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening, most of the time I'm saying, listen, Lord, for your servant is speaking. And I believe God wants to change me, and I believe he wants to change you into better listeners, listening for the voice of the shepherd. One of the things that you can do to practice that, as you practice that solitude, to help you listen better is to practice silence. To practice silence. Silence does not come easy. Silence does not necessarily move in our natural functioning way. But silence is what is taken or needed if we are going to listen well. So practice silence. That means letting God have the first and the last word in the conversation. That means letting God have time to speak into your life what is truly life-giving. It means stilling my mind and my mouth. 
Therefore, you need to practice silence. If you're going to be a better listener to what God is saying, if you're going to hear the one voice, you've got to listen. And listening involves practicing silence. Last of all, these sheep follow him. Once you hear what he says, are you willing to do what he says? Now I've heard it all. The incredible thing is when the sheep hear his voice, when they listen to him, it says they follow him. And that means that they've let his authority be the final word in their life. Will you listen to the shepherd's voice and not only listen, but now let his word be the final authority in your life? Will you surrender to his will? Will you surrender your agenda to his agenda? Because when you begin to do that, when you surrender in that place, when you obey, when you choose not only to listen, but to do what he says, you find yourself in a place of being well cared for. It's interesting to me that the authority that the shepherd has in the life of the sheep is really for their welfare. It says that they are protected in the sheepfold and that he leads them out. He goes with them out of that place. He is present to them as he moves along the path. But it says that he moves them to the place of pasture. He moves them to the place of provision. He is taking care of the sheep. And he's taking care of them in that he moves them back into the place of the fold, which is the place of protection. There's this wonderful sense of rhythm going on there. That God somehow longs to provide for you through his word, through what he speaks into your life, what will truly be life-giving. It will be provision and it will be protection. God longs for you to hear his voice. He longs for you to make that voice, that singular voice. I think sometimes in that place of the listening, in that place of that voice, what we begin to be confronted with is just all the noise. God longs for you to be alone with him, quiet with him, and surrendered to him, that you might be able to hear his voice and respond to him. It's interesting that in the, the Latin the word noise comes from the Latin word nausea. And that some of us are just sick from all the noise. And what God truly wants to give us is a word that brings life. So the disciples said when everybody was leaving and Jesus asked the question, do you two want to leave? And Peter said, where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. The message that God longs to speak to you, that the shepherd wants for you to hear, is the message of life. To be alone with him is not to be alone with someone who's boring, but someone who speaks life into you. Too often we've made the words of Jesus just a suggestion rather than an authority. So we listen to the words and we kind of think, that's, that's a nice idea for someone you need to remember that the key word here is authority 
that as you come to the one voice, it is the one voice of authority in your life. And if you want the simple life, you have to begin to attend to that one voice. Finally, if the simple life is to become more reality, you must focus on the idea of one God. Jesus responded to a, one who asked a question, what is the greatest commandment? And his response was something that actually comes out of the Old Testament, out of the book of Deuteronomy. But in Jesus' response, he said this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. One God. The Lord our God is one. We live in a, a world and a life where uh, you might describe it oftentimes as pluralistic. The very word pluralistic gives you the sense of it's in the plural. There are people out there that have discovered or are, are searching for varieties of means to make their life meaningful. They're looking for lots of different ways to find success or lots of different ways to be fulfilled. They're looking for all sorts of things to make their lives more comfortable. We live in a pluralistic society. We live in sometimes a very polytheistic society where people have begun to take many gods on. And if you want to know what makes a god in your life, just figure out what you're depending on. It will not be difficult to discover what the gods in your life are. We depend and offer our love to a long variety of things in this world. But we need to remember that they were never intended to bear the responsibility of being God for us. Lots of things, but they were never intended to be God. Paul says in Romans 1 that we've tended to worship the creature rather than the creator. And yet all that God has created is meant to draw us to himself, is meant to cause us to bring glory to him. In the Christian world, we often want and worship the blessings of God more than God himself. Teresa of Avila has a phrase that I think of often. It says, we long for the consolations of God more than we long for the God of consolations. All his generous gifts and blessings are given to enable and enhance our ability to focus on him. They're to draw us into his presence. He gives us good things. They're given to us that we might come back to him with our gratitude. It's interesting that when I sit with people in spiritual direction, oftentimes they're lamenting at how difficult life is and how distant God seems. Boy, life is difficult, and God just seems like he's taking a vacation. And you know, the thing about that is that I can, I can pretty quickly answer that because Jesus made it pretty clear. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I am with you always. Well, right there, when they think that God has taken that vacation, Jesus is telling them a truth that speaks back at that. He's with them always. So that's a great thing. But if they're not experiencing that presence, if they're not sensing that presence, then possibly it could very well be 
that he's ceasing to show up in the ways that we've grown familiar with so that we might experience him in new ways. That possibly our picture of God has really been formed around those wonderful blessings that he's given us. That we define our relationship with him. We define God by those great blessings. And yet, to imagine for a moment that God could be defined by those tiny little blessings that he's giving us all the time is kind of ludicrous. You see, we will never be able to describe God in the context of our language, in the context of our experience. God will always be bigger. He will always eclipse all those things. That larger reality of God is what he is inviting you in to know. And when I begin to define God by particular blessings and particular things that are good for me, I'm basically not getting to know the whole that God is, all that he wants to show me. And sometimes he may cease to give you those blessings so that you might begin to discover him in new ways and so that your faith in him might deepen more. So my suggestion to people at that point is to keep paying attention and to begin to look for God in maybe some of the uncomfortable places that they're in. To begin to look for God and be grateful for the ways that maybe he's pressing in and making them a bit uncomfortable to remind them that he's there and that he's still in the process of transforming their life. Remember, I come to a person who's larger than my answers about him. Remember, I come to him as the end of my journey, not just as a means to get what I want from life. Jesus said that we were to love this one God with all. Love the one God with all. And it's neat because for the Hebrews, as they were given the the commandments, and as Moses kind of said the same thing, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all. That was a prayer that they would say. It was not just one thing that Moses told them, but that was the prayer that they would pray often through their day. It was called the Shema. Shema means to listen in Hebrew. It called them to listen to the one God. It called them to pay attention to the one God and then to respond to him. And the response that is given is probably the best way we can respond when we're coming to the one God, and that's to love him with all. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. With all, with all that you are, because that's the way God has loved you. He's loved you with all that he is. He continues to pour it out on you. Jesus goes to the cross, and he loves you with his whole life. When we are invited to that place of relationship with him, he invites us as well to love him with our whole life. I remember uh, Christmas of 1989. My uh, family was sitting around, and I was trying to instill in them the idea of gratefulness. And 
Christmas was, is always kind of an interesting time because we were very aware, and my children were small at that point, but we were very aware of the lists of things that they wanted for Christmas. Okay? They had made them very clear to us. This is what I desire. And as they would give us those lists, I wanted them to have a sense of gratefulness. And I asked this question as we were sitting around one night, and I said, what would be one thing that you would want to give to the Lord? What would be a gift you would want to give to Jesus? And I think I probably did it as much for my sake as I did it for theirs. I think everything I saw of their own greed and you know, coveting and envy and all those kinds of things was just a reflection of what was in me. I needed to think about what is it that I will give to Jesus. And we went around the room, and as we shared that, I can't remember really what anyone else said except my youngest daughter. And she said, she was like four, five years old. She said, I want to give Jesus my whole heart. And I believe that's what Jesus wants from each of us today. Not just a portion, not just the leftovers, but he wants all, all of who you are, given in adoration to all that he is. And would you come and give that heart, that soul, that mind, that strength to Jesus, that he might give to you all that you need. You see, the fascinating thing is is that we give all our love to Jesus. He seems to provide all the love we would ever need to love other people. To love that spouse, to love that child. And we so desperately want to do that well. We want to love these people that are around us. We want to love the people at our jobs. We want to love the people at our schools. We want that. We figure that if I give all my love to Jesus, well, man, oh man, what am I going to have that's left over? It's remarkable how it works. Because as you love Jesus with your all, all the love of heaven is made available to you to love others. To love them better than they ever imagined. Because it is the love of God poured out in your heart. Three things you might do just to help with this. One is to practice Praying with gratitude. Practice praying with gratitude. The more you pray with gratitude, the more I think you'll have a sense of the one God. One God from whom all life has come. One God who has given you all his life. One God who has given you all his love. Pray with gratitude. Another thing you can do is practice detachment. When you begin to discover other things in your life that might have become those idols, those things you've depended on, practicing detachment is letting go. Letting go of those things that you might better attach to the one God. And then finally, just to practice loving God with all. And I'd like to suggest that you begin with one thing that you would love him with. Sometimes when we think of loving him with all, we just get overwhelmed. Can I do it? Can I love him with all? I just suggest, take one thing. Find one thing that you would offer to him in love 
of your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. And begin there. But don't stop. Don't stop there. Keep moving toward that sense of I want to love him with all. Too often we've made Jesus a convenience rather than a commitment of all. He's convenient when we need him. Convenient when we show up on a Sunday morning. But he wants a commitment of all because that is what he has been to us. In all ways, God is eternally committed to you. And he has loved you loyally and faithfully. And he longs for you to love him loyally in return. And so the key word you need to remember there is loyalty. Loyalty to that love for Jesus. If you're going to experience the simple life that comes from God, that God longs to give you, then you need to remember and focus on that one thing that's necessary. You need to focus on that one voice. And you need to focus on that sense of one God over all and in all. As we close this morning, I'm going to sing a song to end. And it's a fairly simple chorus. And so hopefully you will join me at some point.
Father, we pray that we would receive from you the simple life. Lord, that we would focus on the one thing that's necessary. That we would focus on listening and attending to the one voice that calls us by name. Lord, that we would focus on the one God that has loved us with his all. And may we love you with all that we are in return. Go with us now into this day. Lord, may we remember again the life you long to give to us. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.